creation. And I just felt like an owl came especially to worship with us this morning. So I was just a, I'm a farmer and I love nature, so it's a, a very personal thing. All right, so just a couple of introductory thoughts. One, uh, quite a few of our guys this morning at a, a men's camp. We wanted to open it to the whole congregation. With COVID, we couldn't, so we just had to take a few key leaders. Um, so Johannes is out that side, John is out that side, Stefan Smith is out there. We've been there all weekend, so my voice is quite sore because we're about 100 guys in a room and we were singing, man. We were singing so loudly, it was just so, so wonderful. So a bunch of our guys are still there. Um, and then we're going to speak this morning about proclaiming the gospel. So I don't know if you like me, maybe. Uh, how, oh, let me ask you actually, how many of you at times just feel completely overwhelmed with the Christian life? And you feel like there's, there's so many things you have to remember, and there's so many things you're supposed to do, and then there's things you're not supposed to do, and then you read the Bible, and the Bible can confuse you sometimes. And sometimes, if I'm honest, in my life, I've, in my journey, I felt really overwhelmed, and really, like, the best picture I can think of is a huge tent. That has hundreds of pigs. I think of a huge circus tent and the wind is busy blowing. And I feel like sometimes I run around and I think, this is the most important pig. And I hit this pig with my hammer. And then, then I think, oh no, that one over there is coming loose. So I run over there and I feel like I'm hitting a hundred pigs. And I've been asking God in the last two years. And with our leadership team, we've actually talked about this. And this is where this vision series that we're doing has come from. I've been saying, God, won't you just give us a few pigs? Just five pigs so we've got seven seven pigs that we can come back to again and again and just hit on hit on the head my wife says lots of people outside can't hear me so you probably didn't hear me say that come inside if you're outside i hope you're inviting people there's space guys if you want to bring your chairs but if you want to sit out there can you hear me yeah, they can hear me, 100%. So, just want to say you were wrong. I just, I've been asking God for the grace. I actually feel like it's a grace to me and to us as a church to just know, to have clarity, what are the things we need to go after week after week Year after year, decade after decade. And guys, these seven things that we've been talking about in the last three weeks. So we're doing a series, if you're brand new, called What on Earth Are We Here For? Right? And those of you who've been here, one hope, what on earth are we here for? Well, if you've forgotten, it's on your bangle that we've given up. Right? We're here to be filled, say it with me, to be filled and to fill Stellenbosch with the hope and the life of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we are here as a church, okay? And then we're doing seven things that we say, well, how do we do that? These seven things. This morning is the first one. Proclaim the gospel. Guys, I want this to be so fiercely practical that if you have to say, how do we as one hope proclaim the gospel? After this morning, you should be able to say four things. There's four ways that as a church, we believe God has called us to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because we want to fill Stellenbosch with the hope and the life of Jesus. But what I want to do this morning, I mean, the, the, the obvious place to go is to go to a scripture that, that rah, rah, let's, um, let's go proclaim the gospel, let's take it out. And I actually just felt as I was preparing this week, the Spirit take me rather to Isaiah and to a, a reminder of the message. I want to remind us of the message that we carry and how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is because I think that that will actually 
motivate us more to go out and share the message than if I tell you, you ought to, you must. The Bible says you have to. All right. So turn with me to Isaiah 46. We're going to start there. Being filled and filling Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Christ. I just want to like clap every time I hear that. I, I love it. And I didn't come up with it. It was our, our leaders. Just so. I'm not just clapping for me. Alright, so are you with me so far? So, Isaiah 46 speaks... I've, I've struggled my whole life with the book of Isaiah. It's been a book that I've, I've really struggled to engage with. I've found it quite confusing. And um, I switched versions of the Bible last year and I went to the NLT and it's just given me such a fresh lens. And then somehow just the Spirit has, has stirred in my heart around Isaiah. So I've spent a lot of time in this book just in my personal devotions. But Isaiah 46, if you go back and read 44, it's this, this picture of how we're seeking for God. And he speaks about how a man goes and, and, and cuts down a tree to make an idol with this tree. And then he says, but he gets exhausted as he works in front of the fire to make a tool to carve his, his wood. Then he gets so tired when he has to chop this wood up to make his idol. Then it says he gets really cold. This is Isaiah 44. So he has to burn some of his wood in order to keep warm. But he keeps some of his wood for his idol. Then he gets hungry. So he has to burn some more of his wood to make his food, to make his bread. And Isaiah says, how, how foolish can we be that we think that the same thing that we, that we burn for heat and that we burn to make our food, we now turn to and we worship and we say, we want to worship you, come and hear us, come and heal us, come and forgive us, come and take away our guilt, whatever it is that we are looking for. But the point that I've loved so much in this book of Isaiah is that we are all looking for something, right? We are all searching for a Savior. At some point, you realize, most of us, somewhere early in our teenage years, that what we have at our disposal is not enough and we need more. So we turn to drink, we turn to social media and trying to get lots of followers and identity. Maybe we turn to sex, maybe we turn to career and finance. There's, there's loads of things that we chase which are effectively trees that we've cut down in the forest and that we're trying to now worship. So I'm going to stop there because I'll go on for ages because this really does excite me. But Isaiah 46, God says to his people, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? This is verse 5. And then listen, I want you to listen with compassion in your heart to the next verse. Not with judgment, with compassion. Some people... Oh wait, my page turned over. Some people pour out their silver and gold and hire a craftsman to make a god from it. Then they bow down and worship it. How desperate that we take all the money we have and we pour it out to some craftsman and say please make me a god that i can worship make me a god that i can bow down to they bow down and worship but then they carry it around on their shoulders and when they set it down it stays there it can't even move you see the point Isaiah is making Desperate people. Our hearts should not be like, oh, you stupid people. Our hearts should be, God, please help us to help them. Help us. It should be compassion that floods our heart. It says, you can't hear this God that they make can't even move. And when someone prays to it, 
There's no answer. The God can't answer them. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. Do not forget this, Isaiah says. Keep in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is no one like me. And so the first thing I want to say is that the world is searching for what can't be found in human means. We can't find it, but we're looking. All of us, guys, fensters this weekend. And I was with the Red Frogs this, I think it was Thursday. Pastors have been going into the Red Frogs. Guys, you are the Red Frogs guys and I must. We're going to celebrate you next week. You heroes. Going out into this place. What, what is everyone doing last night? What is everyone doing in O-Week? They're searching. They're looking for something. They feel the incompleteness and they're searching for something. The, the, the need is rightly diagnosed. They know that they need something, but they, they don't know where to go. They need someone to hear them. But you see, it mentions guilt. They, they need to be appeased somehow of, they, of their guilt. So what do they do? They pour out everything they have to try and get it. They, if they a young woman, they put out so that they can get it. To try and shore up their identity. And they feel the pressure to do that. So they engage with loads and loads of sexual encounters with men. Or if you're a businessman, you, you pour out your life. You neglect your wife. You neglect your children. Your children grow up as if they are orphans. Because you poured out your life to the God, to the idol of money. Because you try, you know, intrinsically we know that we're missing something. And so we pour out our gold. So the first thing I want to say is that it's costly. And then the second thing I want to say is that it's ineffective. You see, Isaiah says, you put your God down and when you come back, it doesn't even know how to move. What kind of God? You, you pray and you ask it for an answer, but it doesn't even, doesn't even answer you. It can't. It can't answer you. All right, you got that? So, we're searching for what can't be found. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 55. And this is, this is really where I want to focus for the next five minutes. Isaiah 55 is now the most wonderful antidote to to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 55 starts like this. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone hungry? Let's go again, verse 1. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. So remember we're talking about someone who's looking for life. Who's looking for something. He's looking for whatever it is that will sustain us. And then, the, then Isaiah says, are you thirsty? Come. Do you remember just now we spoke about how costly it is? We pour out our silver. We pour out our gold. We pour out our whatever it may be, our family, to try and achieve this thing. It's so beautiful when you get to Isaiah 55 and he says it's free. Come, you don't have money? Of course you don't have money. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. We don't have money. But come, this is the message of the gospel. Come, do you remember John 7? Do you remember Jesus stands up in John 7 and what does he say at the great feast? He stands up and he says exactly this Isaiah 55. Are you thirsty? Let me ask you, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you used to, you grew up in a family that believes in Jesus, but you feel like you've wandered far, far away from Jesus. Let me ask you, are you thirsty? It's an easy question. 
And Jesus stands up and he says, Are you thirsty? And then he says, Come to me. And what is his promise? Do you want to remember the promise? I will give you rivers of living water. I'll give you rivers of living water. Now that exact text is from Isaiah 55. And actually the whole idea that Jesus is using there is completely paralleled with this text. Did you notice that he doesn't just say, what is water? What is for us? It's like you're desperate, you're in a desert, you're going to die, and someone brings you water, right? That's what it is. It's like this desperate, this need, this hungry people. We need a God who can hear us. We need a God who can, who can heal us. But then God doesn't just come in John 7 or here in Isaiah and say, well, here's a cup of water for you. Do you see the extravagance of God where he says, rivers, rivers of living water. I want to pour out rivers of living water. In, in Isaiah, he uses language that's a bit archaic, but it's really beautiful. He says, come and eat the finest food. Not just here's a piece of bread, like someone, you know, he's going to have some, I'm so hungry. Oh, here we go. Here's a peanut butter sandwich. The poor oaks had peanut butter sandwiches for the last five years. And a cup of water. Just come and eat the finest food. Come and have milk and wine. Now, we just got to spawn by milk. But for these guys, milk is a, is a sign of huge prosperity. It's a sign of being the, the nation of Israel being settled. And they've got their own cows. And they can milk their cows. That's why it's called the land of milk and honey. That's milk and honey. We just drink milk, you know. But this is, this is extravagant gospel. This is extravagant. Oh, are you thirsty? Come. I want to give you not just a cup of water. I want to give you rivers. Of, okay, you got the point. <laughs> Blaise Pascal, he's a mathematician, says this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. And this time, what's the cost? Isaiah 46, pour out all our money. Isaiah 55, free. You don't need money. Come eat. Come drink. Although there was one who paid the price. We'll talk about that a little bit more just now. It's free for us, but it wasn't free for Jesus cost Jesus' life to give us this free gift. What's the effect? So I talked about the ineffectiveness of the idol. You put it there, you come back, it's still there. What's the effect in Isaiah 55? Well, let's read on a little bit. Read verse 3. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. So where the idol is completely ineffective, Isaiah is saying, when you come and eat this free food, when you come and drink this free water that's offered through the gospel, you're going to find life. Jesus speaks about this, right? Come to me, I'll give you life, and I'll give you life to the full. He speaks about abundant life. Again, it's this extravagance of the life we're meant to live in God. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Go to verse 6. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. Those of you who don't know Jesus, this verse is for you. Call on Him now. While he is near, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. What a verse. That's what I'm needing. When I read this and I'm like, this is the diagnosis. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. That's, that's generous. And then he says this verse that you find in Kum books and on the back of cars. My, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. 
For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The context of what he's saying is that this forgiveness is so radical that you can't understand it. I can't get it. It's like, how can you have this, the best food in the world? Free! You go to Fat Butcher and you eat this awesome 1.2 kg steak. I'd like to see you do it. And then they just say, it's free. And it's free for all your friends. It'll never happen. But it's a great dream. But God's saying, even in my forgiveness, you, you can't understand it. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. My ways are so far above your ways. And then he says this. He uses a metaphor. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the, or the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. In other words, rain comes down, dead seeds come to life. That's what he's saying. God produces the rain. You know what the beautiful thing about rain is? It just falls on everything. There's a fire on the mountain and there's, it's dead. The rain doesn't like just go and say, well, this is the nice green part. I'll water this. It just falls everywhere. This is the extravagance of the gospel. Anyone who says that the, that the Christian claims are exclusive claims have not understood at all what the Bible says. Do you know what the criteria for coming to God in the Bible are? They are so wide. They so, this is what they are. Are you thirsty? Are you in need? Jesus says, are you weary? Jesus says, are you heavy laden? Jesus says, are you sick? The gospel, the true Christian gospel, is the most widely inclusive gospel or good news or religion or whatever you want to call it that you could ever come across. The criteria are ridiculous. All you've got to be is tired, hurting, weary, broken. And he says, come. And it's free. And I paid it. That's incredible. And the rain just falls on everything. And then he carries on with the same metaphor and he says, in the same way, just like that rain falling on all the seeds, in the same way it is with my word. I send it out. It rains on everything. And it produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live, now I know this, this language is archaic, but just follow him here. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song, and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. We used to sing a song about this when I was a kid. Trees of the fields will clap your hands. Anyone? Over like 40. Trees of the fields will clap their hands. Where, where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles, this is just beautiful flowers, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. There will be an everlasting sign of His power and His love. Guys, I don't know about you, but my life is filled. It's been filled before I came to know Jesus with nettles and with thorns. This is the metaphor. And suddenly the, the mountains are rejoicing. The trees are clapping their hands. Why? Because God's word has gone out indiscriminately like rain over the earth. And people, we are the, the thorns that have been turned into beautiful flowers. We are the nettles, which are those things that sting you. We are, we are those things. It's our hearts. And suddenly God's rain has gone out indiscriminately over all of us. And everything is rejoicing. That's the effect, right? So it's costliness, the effect. And then the last thing I want to say from the book of Isaiah is 
from chapter 61. Let me just read two verses. Just skip over a few pages to chapter 61. And this was where I was spending my time this week, just asking God to remind me of my salvation. This is what it says. And I, I just called this one plants springing up everywhere because I couldn't think of a, a better name. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Samantha, do you know that God has put a robe of righteousness on you? Do you know that? That when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. And I'm your brother, so I know that there's sin. <laughs> and you know that there's sin in me. But when God looks at us, do you know that? Because we didn't learn that all that well in our family. But God looks at us and He sees a robe of righteousness. He looks at you and He sees Jono dressed in clothes of salvation. It's a remarkable thing. Dundas, He looks at you with a robe of righteousness. And you should be going, how God? How? Don't you know me? That's what's going on in my heart. And then I, I just remember that I'm a son and I'm, I'm in a robe. God has brought me like the, this is the story of the prodigal son. And the father comes and he doesn't deserve a thing except to be disowned and thrown away. And the father comes and he puts the best robe on him yeah. and the best ring on him. He says, you're mine. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for His wedding or a bride with her jewels. This is a wonderful metaphor, like the excitement of this joy of my salvation. I'm like a, the, the night before my wedding. The sovereign Lord will show His justice to the nations of the world and everyone will praise Him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring. With plants springing up everywhere. What are the plants? It's you. It's me. It's the rain that comes down. And then by God's grace, His word goes out. And people come to know Him. And then suddenly we look and it's like a garden in spring. Look at you this morning. You're like a garden in spring. I look up and it's like God is rain. And suddenly it's like there's these beautiful stories of grace. Yes, you're so full of sin. Yes, I'm... Tremendously full of sin. Just ask my wife. But God is looking at us and going, You're a garden of grace. You're a garden like, like spring flowers. You got it. Searching where it can't be found. This week, the rest of your life, guys, you're going to see people semi-diagnosing the problem. They know they need something. They know they need something. They're searching for something. They, they pour out their silver and gold. You will see that it is so costly on people's lives. As you get older, you see more and more the terrible consequences that it has when we, we pursue and pursue and pursue something that can't satisfy us. And we stand on people and destroy families and destroy marriages because we, we're searching for something that we need. Searching for what can't be found. Given... When I cannot pay the free nature of the gospel, we carry this gospel message to the world and we pour it over the world as free rain. We pour it like rain over the world. The extravagance of the gospel. I want us to leave this morning remembering, remembering the effectiveness of the gospel. If you've forgotten the effectiveness of the gospel and you're a believer, just look at yourself. Just say, surely God, how did you do this? How did you do this? 
And then the, the section I shared on plants springing up everywhere. This is the crux of, of why we share the gospel. If we don't share the gospel because we have a burning understanding of what God has done for me. If, if you go and share the gospel because it's the right thing to do, like paying your TV license, or because this week the pastor got excited and he told you to do it, so that excitement lasted for a week or two, so you went out and told your friend about Jesus. That even God will even use that wonderfully. He'll even use our worst motives wonderfully. But the thing that really needs to motivate us is to see Jesus and what He's done in my life. And because of that, there's this overflow that begins to happen. And I can't help but going and proclaiming the gospel. This is the message. This is the message. It's not rah, rah, you must do better. It's look to, look to what He's done in your life. And how can we not share that? How can we not want to take that out into the world? Okay, so... I'm going to close with four things, very practically. How does one hope see this being fulfilled? How do we see the proclaiming of the gospel? And this, if you don't know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, I've got no idea where to start. I don't even know how I'm ever going to tell anyone about Jesus. These four things are going to help you tremendously. They all start with a P. I don't know how that happened. I'm so glad it did. first one is this. One has proclaims the good news. We publicly proclaim the good news. Friends, this is the simplest place to start. If you don't know where to start, every week in our Sunday services, we will be proclaiming the name of Jesus. We will be telling about the good news, this good news of salvation. We will preach from God's word. That's our commitment to you. The Bible is our book. We're not going to preach our own thoughts. We're not going to preach the latest phase or the latest church growth book. We are going to preach God's word week after week. I can't wait to start Ephesians again. Maybe in about five weeks time or eight weeks time. I don't know. Somewhere there. Start Ephesians. We preach God's word. We will hold Jesus high as the savior and the healer of the world. When your friends come and they feel that need for Jesus, we're saying there's only one place to find it. And we're going to tell you about it again and again. Our commitment to you is that we will be as careful and as thoughtful as we can in proclaiming God's word. But we will do it boldly and we will do it with truth. So I'm not promising you that your friend won't be offended. 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 It's like Twitter face. We will be as careful and thoughtful as possible. It's as easy as that. That's where you stopped. Why don't you invite someone? Why don't you reach out to a friend? Two weeks ago... We saw some friends I haven't seen for years and years. They live in um, Australia. He's a policeman. He's a big, tough, South African stereotype man. He told me that he had a crush on my sister when we were in high school. And um, he was driving with his parents to Peter Marisburg. He was from our co-post, is where we lived. And my sister just randomly messaged him and said, I'm going to church, would you like to come? He didn't want to go to church. But he really wanted to see my sister. <laughs> he said he asked his parents. They dropped him at the robot. I didn't know the story until two weeks ago. He went to that church that evening and was radically saved. Twenty years later, he's following Jesus. His wife loves Jesus. His children love Jesus. Just from a simple invitation. Do you want to come to church with me tonight? And I want to ask you guys. Would you have the courage to invite someone to church? What if that happened? 
What if 20 years from now we're talking about the person that you invited to One Hope and God did something in the, the meeting? You know what happens in my heart whenever I think about this? I think, what if, what if that weird thing happens that Sunday when I bring my friend? I've been trying to like, you know, relationship evangelize them for five years and I bring them to church and that weird person gets up and speaks in that language and then it's like, oh no, you know? Guys, can I, can I encourage us not to be arrogant? In thinking that we know what someone needs. The Spirit of God knows what your friend needs. They will, the Spirit will bring him or her on the Sunday they need to be here. Forget about all the, let's try and curate the perfect Sunday with the right preachers preaching and the right worship leaders on and the most friendly. Just bring them. Bring them and let God work. That's the first easy way. The second way is this. So we, we publicly proclaim the good news. Number two, we plan the proclaiming of the good news. This church is incredibly intentional. We carefully put together opportunities and events that specifically help people who are trying to understand the Christian faith. I had a great video to show you, which we're not going to do. But guys, I want to tell you that we budget a lot of money for this. I want to tell you that it's excellent. I want to tell you it's not slapdash. It's not last minute. We've already been planning last year for this year. For these exact events, One Hope volunteers pour huge amounts of time into this. Why? So that you and I can simply invite a friend and say, come with me. We have Alpha. 28th of February, it launches again. Base is going to just, I'll give them two minutes in a moment to come and tell us about what it is. Or you can invite your friend to what we heard about this morning, divorce care. Just someone who's going through something difficult in their life and just say, hey, we've got a course. Would you like to come? I mean, not just anything difficult, divorced or separated, for clarity. Would you like to come? And in that space, they safely, carefully hear about what they're struggling with, as well as, we believe the Bible gives you answers. Here's the good news, right? Every year, we, Johan and Sunay wonderfully run our marriage course. Now, it's not, it's not specifically evangelistic. It's not, it's not, you know, like Alpha in that sense. But it's a space, we run it in the third term this year. Am I right? Or was it in May? They'll come back to you. <laughs> That's a space. We're just, who doesn't, if you're married, put up your hand if you don't need help. <laughs> Alright? Nervous laughter. <laughs> it's a wonderful space just to invite people. Batesy, come tell us about Alpha. Just for a second. So, I absolutely love Alpha, so I can go on forever. Alpha course, if you don't know about it, who knows about the Alpha course? Put your hand up. Who doesn't know about the Alpha course? There we go. Okay, most of us. So, I'm not going to go too long. But the wonderful thing about Alpha, especially in our town and in our space, and I don't know about with your friends, is that it's really conversational. So, we bring people around this to the table. The key, the key hallmark of Alpha, it's respectful and conversational. So, you don't have, it's not like a massive Bible bashing moment. It's you come in. Ask your questions. We, we train as facilitators to ask questions, not give answers. So it's really conversational and it's not. It's really engaging, world-class content, great food. So if you, even if that's the invite, there's going to be great food. And it's incredible how over the 10 weeks you actually form friends. So there's a bunch of people here who I'm now friends with because of the articles. had no clue who they were until, uh, until that time. So it's really an incredible invite. The launch is a come and see you don't have to commit for the full 10 weeks. But I t- I'm telling you, if you're, any of your friends are really interested, uh, they don't even have to be that interested. Just if they'll come, uh, the conversation space is amazing. So really do invite people to come check it out. 
uh, and you won't regret it. Um, it's really, really non-threatening, incredible space to invite friends to engage with the gospel. Boom, so simple. So that launch night, 28th of Feb, is a night that you come with your friend. So if you have a friend or a few friends, you come with them and it's a non-committed evening. So come have a meal, they'll show you, tell, tell you and your friends what Alpha is about, and then if your friend says, I'd love to go, they then start going on their own for the next time. I got that right? Okay. So that's one and two. Easy, eh? Anyone feeling massively intimidated? Just invite. Invite them to church, invite them to Alpha, invite them to divorce, separated. Number three, we personally proclaim the good news. As a community, we're doing everything as a church to make it as easy and as accessible for you to bring your friends into compelling public spaces. But ultimately, in Scripture, the call is personal. We can't outsource it. You can't just say, oh, well, I hope it's doing it, so that's my, that's my evangelism box ticket. Scripture calls us to tell, to witness, to share. What's, what's the call? It's simple. To increasingly live lives that demonstrate God in our lives. That's being filled. And to fill Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Jesus. To take it out. It's not enough to just privatize our experience of God. How crazy would it be if you saw people starving all over the world and you knew that there was a table full of the finest foods and that it was completely free and all you had to do was go and say hey there's this table and all your starvation all your thirst needs it's going to be met and we just sit there like gluttons and eat it all ourselves how crazy would that that's the that's the metaphor right it's free have you ever heard this it's apparently Francis of Assisi, although actually it's not, that's a fallacy. He's preached the gospel at all times and used words if necessary. Have you heard that? It's quite a famous saying. It's absolutely terrible. It's not biblical, it's just nonsense. Scripture never ever makes a dichotomy between speech and actions. As if somehow it's more virtuous to just live it out for Jesus. We always meant to do both. This is how Romans says it, just so you know Scripture. How then will they call on Him, those who don't know Him, if they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? We're not supposed to be quiet. Maybe you're overwhelmed at this thought. Wow, I like the invitation thing. I like the other invitation thing, but personally share my faith. I'm not very theologically minded. I don't think quick on my feet. I haven't done all the apologetics I'm supposed to do, this one is really overwhelming. And I want to just encourage you with one thing. The Bible has a simple word for us. Witness. Witness. It's a weird word. It literally means you're driving down the street, you see someone crash into someone, you go to the police station and you say, this is what I saw. You don't need a dissertation on vehicles. You don't need to be a mechanic. You don't need to understand how robots work. You don't understand how, like, you know, the whole accident thing happens. All you've got to do is say, this is what I saw. That's the call for us when we share the gospel. It's not to bring your friend a theological dissertation. You don't have to do that. All you've got to do is say, this is what was happening in my life. And now look, this is happening in my life. And oh, I've also got another friend. And this is what was happening in their life. And now look, this is what's happening in their life. And I want to just say that's free from this expectation that you've got to somehow convince your friend and the Spirit is working. You witness. 
when there's an opportunity you just say can I tell you that Jesus made a difference in, in my life last week that's it number four so so far we've got let me just recap we publicly proclaim the good news number two we plan the proclaiming of the good news number three we personally proclaim the good news and number four we plant churches that proclaim the good news and I told you guys about this in our vision preach a few weeks ago that we feel that God has put a specific call on one hope to plant churches in and around Stellenbosch and beyond not for any other reason that we just think that this is one of the most missional things we can do people come to know Jesus when new churches are planted guys you'll hear me say this again and again we need a hundred more Jesus loving gospel proclaiming churches in Stellenbosch if I ever hear any of us I don't get very frustrated and angry often but one of the things that does get me really hot under the collar is when I hear people say why is another church opened in this town why is Cedars opened up you know why Cedars is opened up because they're awesome should go there sometime. Adrian and Antoinette are incredible people who love Jesus. And there's suddenly 150 more people who are going to church who weren't. And we need more. We need more, more churches all over Stellenbosch. That's in 2009, we were that new church. We were New Gen. And I had an awesome video, which I can't show you. So I'm going to have to tell you the story about a guy called Ross. Two years ago, I met this guy at a conference. He came up to me and he said, are you from New Gen? Never met him in my life. I said, yes. He said, can I tell you a story? He says it was 2010, so one year after New Gen had been planted, we were in Rhenish High, we were in the evening congregation. I liked a girl. Common thread. <laughs> I was sleeping with that girl. That girl was far from Jesus. That girl wanted to go to church. And she came into New Gen for whatever reason and invited me to go with. It's the only time I ever came to your church. I met a man called Josh Fisher. Nathan Fisher's dad. So all I remember is his name was Josh. And he prayed with me. He says, during the announcements, I don't know what happened. No one even preached, guys. <laughs> during the announcements, something happened. The Spirit of God came upon me and I gave my life to Jesus. That guy, Ross, the reason I met him is that he leads one of the Josh Gen congregations. He's pastoring. For the last five years, he's been pastoring. And I wonder, who else, God? Who else do you want to save? And what do you want to do through their lives? And at some point, I'll show you his video. Because it's just so, in his own words, just so beautiful. In the next ten years, I don't want to scare you. It's not, it's not like next week. In the next ten years, we have a vision to see God planting churches in and around Stellenbosch. What will they look like? We don't know. What are we going to call them? We don't care. It's not one hope. I couldn't be bothered. We just want to see... Churches springing up all over the place that are doing what? Where people are being filled and filling Stellenbosch with the hope and the life of Jesus. And here, one little thing I want to say here. We don't need just preachers. To plant churches, we need everyone. Have you got a smiley face? We need you. Honestly, we need you. It's one of the most compelling things when you walk in and someone is just friendly and just greets you. Maybe God's blessed you in the area of finance. And you're a great businessman, a great businesswoman. We need you. That can be your contribution. Maybe you're fantastic at whatever it may be. Serving tea. <coughs> hospitable. Maybe you love kids and you want to work in a kids' church. We're going to need to multiply ourselves in the next time, in the next 10 years. Over and over again. Saying, God, won't you raise up men and women? And we need people who are going to lead those things. We need more elders. 
We need more lead elders. We need more preachers. I'm so excited that last week I'm sick. And Stefan just, on, on 24 hours notice, gets up and preaches powerfully. It's a stunning message. I'm so excited that Warren's preaching. I'm so excited that Nathan's preaching. We've got like, I think we've got like eight preachers. Or Riley, Sarah, just, God is just raising up preachers in our midst. And it's, it's wonderful. I'm thinking, God, there's too many for us. So what do we need? You with me? So we publicly proclaim the gospel. We plan to proclaim the gospel of the good news. We personally proclaim the good news. We plant churches that proclaim the good news. And all of this, why? Because Jesus is the one who came first. He's the first missionary. He's the one who came. God, Emmanuel, we're talking about this. God with us. Jesus, the one who saves it's his model that we follow. We're not, if you leave with a sense of legalism today, you have not heard me. We do this because we have a captivating vision of our own salvation at the most wonderful hands of the first missionary, Jesus. And because God rescued me, and because God healed me, and because he had a plan for my life, I want to go out and I want to publicly proclaim it in every possible way because God's told me to do that. And so I'm good with that. If he says do it, I'm saying Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take communion. And um, these seeds over here, there's a whole bunch. There's, there's spinach, there's tomato, there's butternut, there's zinnia, if you know what that is. There's, um, there's pictures, so you can actually see before you just plant your things randomly. There's cosmos. We wanted to put something in your hands today as a living reminder of this word. It's a living reminder of how God reigns indiscriminately over the world. How God says it's just like a garden in the beginning of spring where everything is just springing up. And we want to ask you to plant those seeds. Find a little pot plant, find whatever. Plant them. Try not to let them die. <laughs> Water them. And every time you see that little flower or whatever, the vegetable, when you eat that vegetable, whatever it is you want to do. I don't think that metaphor threw far enough the vegetables. <laughs> you eat the person who came to Jesus, right? <laughs> When you see that plant, something in our hearts should go, oh yes, Isaiah 55, come and eat. Are you thirsty? It's free. You with me? Father, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for what you're going to do in others' lives. We thank you. We praise you. You're a good God. Your generosity knows no ends. I, I feel like it would be wrong for me this morning not to actually say, is there anyone here who is not eating from this table, who doesn't know God, but who wants to? If that's you, I'm not going to make you come to the front, but I would love to just know, just put a hand up and say, that's me. I've walked far away from God. I would love to come back. And then afterwards, I'll find you. I'll ask a leader, appropriate leader to find you and just pray with you. As simple as that. Is there anybody here this morning that is far from God? Just a hand. 